Hi, and welcome to the Dyslexia Podcast. This is this episode is about dyslexia in Europe, and I'm joined today by Miss Celine. Is that how I correct your, say your name correctly? It's Cécile Lenay. Cécile Lenay. All right, and introduce yourself. This is the first time on the podcast for you. I am a French teacher at the middle school here at Harper Hall. Yeah. So today, as I said before, we're talking about dyslexia in Europe. And since you've lived in France when you were younger, I thought it'd be really interesting to bring you onto this. I'll do my best. All right. So the study that I brought to the table today is quite an old one. It was written in 1973. And let me tell you, I've looked everywhere on the internet for an English written study about Europe. It's very difficult to find. So I hope in the future that there's going to, a lot of these papers that might be written in French or a different language or might not exist at all will become more written and more equitable as time goes on because it would be really interesting to see and hear about dyslexia in other countries around the world, not just America. Yeah, I think that probably the language barrier is, is what's going on here because I when I was looking at France, I did find quite a bit of articles but in French. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, written by Connie Newell, she visited England, Denmark, Sweden, Czechoslovakia, and Austria after World War II. So there was many connections and ties to the war that just happened. So there might be some things that might be different from now or completely changed. So she stated that in every country she visited, except for England, she found that the definition of dyslexia was not a problem. Everyone has accepted it, except for England. And what was the difference with England? England, they feel that poor reading stems from either emotional or differentational causes. The definition of developmental dyslexia is not accepted by most educational psychologists working in the public schools in England. It's interesting because when I was researching France, um, I also saw some doubts as to whether dyslexia was, you know, a cognitive, Mm -hmm. um, something related to your cognitive skills, or was it related to the way French children learn how to read, Mm -hmm. or was it related to the socioeconomics, you know, of the children. Mm-hmm. I think it has something to do with every single one of those. I think so too. Because everything just piles up. It might start with your genes and then something else adds onto it and it adds onto it and then you get a whole cake of, hello, this is dyslexia. Yes. <laughs> but the problem is in England, they just don't accept dyslexia oh. at that time in 1973. Um, they saw, they had remedial reading instruction, but it was very limited. And teacher education colleges do not train teachers in the field of dyslexia or helping students with dyslexia. Therefore, children who need help in language skills go to private tutors or private clinics. But anything private is expensive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for people who don't have the money or the resources to get that help and tutoring, that would rather they would rather spend that on food or getting clothes for themselves. They're not going to want to spend it on reading if they can work on it at home. Sure. Yeah. What did you find about France? If we can. 
I think my data is, is uh, a little more recent. So in 2015, um, there was a large effort by the French government. Education is centralized in France. So mm -hmm. there's one curriculum for yeah. the whole country. So very different from the US. Yes. And so uh, dyslexia and other dis, um, dysgraphia. Dysgraphia and dysgraphia. So, but dyslexia in particular was recognized as a, in French, we say handicap, which is translated as handicap in English. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, they have implemented a, a plan um, to accompany the child and specifically to have modifications depending on what subject is taught, what skill is taught, specific modifications and adjustments for the child to be successful. And that yeah. is from 2015. So fairly recent. Yeah. And that's very similar to what Miss Newell saw in Denmark. They found that dyslexia needs are well provided by the legislation and they are given special instruction, but it also goes with the child. They have diagnostics procedures that they start when they were very young, which yeah. unlike America, where we were just implementing that, you might get tested when you're 15. And that's too late to have that shift in mindset set. I was just diagnosed, I was luckily diagnosed in third grade. So I had time to catch and fix my issues and problems that I had with reading. But if I was caught even earlier at like kindergarten, I wouldn't even have those issues today. Still have spelling though. <laughs> That's still there. What I love about what I found in France is that um, it, it encourages the teachers to think about the way they provide instructions and to think about the way they evaluate the students. Mm -hmm. and, and when you look at the plan, you know, it goes from elementary to middle school to high school, and you look at all those modifications, I find that basically we're asking teachers to be better teachers. So yeah. I, I love this idea that teachers are growing more skills to serve all of their students, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah. we're serving the child, but I think we're also, by providing skills to the teacher, the teacher becomes a better teacher for mm -hmm. all. And that's what I think a lot of countries are needing to do now. It's not just making these legislations and expecting the schools to do it. You got to help the teachers because they're the one who's one on one with the students. Yeah. And they're the most knowledgeable about that student. Sorry, parents, but you don't spend six hours a day with a child. <laughs> <laughs> so in Sweden, they are actually trying to make an effort to find adults who cannot adults who are not reading correctly, so who have dyslexia, dysgraphia, or any type. And they're trying to help them get back on top. Even though they are adults, they're graduated, they're trying to help the students that they missed a long time ago and trying to catch them up to reading levels. But doesn't mean that they're forgetting about the children. School systems are evaluating the handwritten skills of children. That's how they people should have caught me when I was younger. I couldn't write. <laughs> I couldn't write anything. And writing cursive, impossible. But when a teacher, as we were saying, that teachers spend most of the time with the student or with the child, a child gets a refer referral by their teacher, setting that up the food chain. And, and that referral is pretty much saying, hey, I spot something. And that tells everyone else who teaches that child saying, if you see anything else like that, that might have some underlying meaning, like dyslexia, dysgraphia. 
So the classroom teacher fills out a checklist and has a narrative report. I feel that if in other countries like America, if we had that, that communication between teachers and not even in the same grade, but also in different grade levels that could help saying like, hey, this child has spelling issues in this grade and this grade and this grade, and he's missing the same words. There's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And when you say we don't have that in the United States, um, you specifically mean in independent schools or? Not independent schools, because I've but. Because it happening in public schools, to be mm -hmm. honest, this diagnosis that yeah. you, uh, you're talking about. Yeah, but when I was a student, I was talking about that when I was a student. Um, I had issues, but I was able to hide those issues. I had straight A's. As I said in the first episode, I had straight A's. I was doing everything correctly. I was making spelling issues, but I could cover it up. I was basically memorizing words, mm -hmm. which you know as learning English, but also knowing French, there's way too many words to memorize. Yes. You can't do that. Can that far yeah. Like that. So when I switched over to a private school, they quickly realized, hey, you thought a noun was like the verb of the sentence was whale. And you misspelled all these words. Let's look at it. And my mom brought it up. She had brought it up to the public school, which in Nashville, where we're living, they are doing a lot better. They're setting up systems of education and doing everything to make it better. It's just that might not be happening across the United States. It's so interesting because I my most of my teaching career was in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I, I do wonder, I think you might have hit it on the head. I wonder if it is a problem state by state or district by district, yeah. which is what I like about the French system is that it is not across the whole mm -hmm. country and everybody is using the same plan and the same kinds of modifications yeah. to have students across the whole country. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that education for students is governed by the state. The state controls that, it's not federal, which I think, even though we do have the Department of Education, they set regulations. There's no set edu um, educating plan like France does. Mm -hmm. That makes a standard, you have to reach a standard. If you don't, can't teach, which I wish America did because if you switch from one school, like I did from a public school to a private school, right. At my public school, I didn't know how to multiply. I didn't know how to spell. When I went to the private school, they're already learning division and find the value of X in third grade. And I didn't even know how to read a clock. So making that standard education for every school in America would be very helpful. Mm -hmm. But we also have to remember, America is huge compared to France. Of course, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have a wide range of diversity and strangings, so we have to Take that in mind if we make Absolutely. that changes. Anything else you found that was really interesting? Uh, you know, you mentioned writing in cursive. Mm -hmm. um, you would have suffered so much in France because there is a huge, huge emphasis on penmanship mm -hmm. in my country uh, and even today. Yeah. And and I was looking as I was looking through the plan. You know, teachers were required to teach cursive to their students. How do they how do they help? students with dyslexia mm -hmm. yeah, because yes cursive is so hard cursive is very difficult because it's learning another alphabet yeah. you have to memorize how to read your letters and everything like that but it's also difficult because when you're forced to take notes in cursive you can't do that fast enough to keep up with the teacher so yes. you lose yourself in the cursive which that's why i felt in fifth grade we were required to 
writing cursive all the time, and I just kept on getting lost. So I was encouraged, indeed, that they're asking, they have a specific section for anything that's in, in writing, and they're saying, um, one, to, to, um, to not basically count mistakes and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the air quotes. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> mistakes, because I, you know, mistakes. Um, and to not, to not count, to not look at how neat it looks, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is often, um, you know, teachers can frown upon, oh, it's not neat. Well, if the children has been identified, the child has been identified as having a dyslexia, mm -hmm. then neat is not something you want to yeah. be looking for. And so the fact that this was spelled out in the plan, I, that was very encouraging yeah because i think teachers should be proud at the fact that their students even doing that absolutely being able to get down all the notes and getting the point across of the lesson that's the big thing yes. that you should be proud of not that it looks neat just be proud that they have everything exactly. there exactly and then they were also encouraging oral production so you've written this tell me about it tell yeah. me about what you wrote and, and then evaluate the whole thing as opposed to just the written production yeah and i think that's Another thing that a lot of schools are learning internationally and nationally, that it does help doing something written on paper, but hearing it from word of mouth from the person itself orally is incredible. That's how dyslexic students learn. I teach my grandmother chemistry in my sophomore year. That's how I learned. And it's incredibly helpful. And I really wish that the next 20 years when my children are going to school, that that is more widely used, not only in America, but around the world. And it sounds like France is doing that really well. I, from what I found, it looks like there's a very strong effort. Sure. Yeah. Some. Hi, and welcome to the Dyslexia Podcast. This, is, this episode is about dyslexia in Europe. And I'm joined today by Miss Celine. Is that how I correct your, say your name correctly? It's Cécile Lenné. Cécile Lenné. All right. And introduce yourself. This is the first time on the podcast for you. I am a French teacher at the middle school here at Harper Hall. Yeah. So today, as I said before, we're talking about dyslexia in Europe. And since you've lived in France when you were younger, I thought it'd be really interesting to bring you on to this. I'll do my best. All right. Thank you.